I'm Brandon Reed, and you're listening to Real Estate for the Rest of Us, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of real estate investing. I want to cut through all the industry jargon and instead serve up actionable and unintimidating information that you can use in your own real estate journey. I interview real estate professionals, and we talk about their real-life experiences. It's real simple. Now let's get into the show. In today's episode, I talk with Elliot Grime. Elliot has built his career on transforming distressed properties and making them pretty again, whether that be to flip for retail sale or to tune up and get things in rentable condition. He's mastered the art of estimating the work involved and making sure a project is on time and on budget. Estimating the scope of work for a rehab project is something that every investor has struggled with. Sure, you get better over time, but where does that leave you for your first flip, or for your second, or if you're tackling a project with complexities that you haven't run into before? Well, Elliot provides extremely helpful perspective in this interview that will help investors in all phases of their journey to understand what that estimation process should entail and how to complete it as accurately as possible. I hope that in this interview, you find practical insights that you can learn from or directly apply as you continue on your own journey in real estate. And now here's my conversation with Elliot. All right, guys. All right. Well, welcome. We have Elliot Grime with us uh, this evening. Elliot, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. I know we got connected from a previous guest, uh, Sean McCormick, who was on the uh, podcast just a couple episodes ago. Um, he spoke highly about you and has had some experience with you. Um, I know you're a general contractor. We'll dig all into that, but um, just thankful you're taking the time tonight to share insight with my listeners. So thanks for being here, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. So let's dig into a little bit about you and your background just briefly here before we dig into the meat of the topic. Um, how long have you been in the real estate world um, doing what you're doing? Kind of ha- What got you started and how long have you been doing it? One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I really liked your approach to the whole real estate scenario. Um, as far as, you know, not the big guys, but the, the entry level sure. uh, and the people that are actually out there uh, doing it. Um, I've been in general contracting. Uh, our company's been open over six years. I'm one of the owners of the company. I was doing rental turns to begin. In other words, when tenants moved out, we were going in, cleaning the place up, changing the carpet, changing the paint, a lot like a flip, but without a lot of uh, add-on value, a lot of just standard you know, painting and carpeting and stuff. And that basically just turned into general contracting. My business partner went out and got his general contracting license and we opened up um, a general contracting company so that we could knock down walls, pull permits, repipe, rewire, etc. My father is an electrician. So I was in attics when I was nine years old. I always joke and uh, helping him get into the to the spots that he couldn't reach to to push wires down for ceiling fans and things like that. Um, went to college in South Florida and then eventually kind of circled back to the, to the construction side of real estate. And, uh, here we are. Okay. Awesome. And what was that? You may have said it. What was the year? When did you kind of start digging in? Not back when you were a kid in the attics, but, um, for yourself um, in the future, right at about 15 years ago. Okay. Um, so right about Oh six, um, I was working for some realtors and, doing like, again, a lot of the repairs that come with, with rental maintenance. Um, and what really lit my fire as far as getting into, to the the actual flipping was I was doing some work for a real estate agent and I was in the home with him. I was in the living room and 
they brought some people in to buy it and the people bought it before we were even done painting. We were literally rolling paint on the wall and in conversation after the, the buyer left, they were discussing among themselves that they made about $21,000 by buying this REO and putting some money into it. It was nothing, uh, it wasn't even 20 grand they put into it and then they made about 21 grand. So as somebody standing on a ladder painting, I obviously kind of, kind of raised an eyebrow and said, Oh, that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting. At the time it seemed like $20,000 was not as achievable because I didn't know what the resources were and, but still kind of lit my fuse just ever so slightly as far as like, well, why am I the guy on the ladder painting when I could be the guy on the ground making 20 grand, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So you were doing, you were actually doing just, um, just like, were you doing handyman work? Were you just doing odds and ends jobs? And absolutely. Um, prior to, so I've been doing it for about 15 years. Six of it has been the, the, the recent six has been in general contracting okay, and the prior nine for conversation was in handyman, ceiling fans, carpet paint, everything that you're allowed to do as a handyman, but, uh, helping some flippers out. And of course you, you know, you're working on a house and the guys next door flipping that house and you're outside, yeah. you know, Hey, how you doing? What are you guys doing? Oh, we're flipping this one. Oh, this one's going to be a rental. Um, you know, just, just generic conversation, people at home Depot, that kind of stuff. And then I joined, um, the association that Sean and I are in together. And that's where I started to gain the knowledge of how things are a little more achievable and, you know, what routes to take and really just learning some vocabulary. Um, you know, what is an assignable contract? What is REO? I mean, there's, we all, there's, there's always something that we need to learn in this industry. Yeah, for sure. So that's interesting. So you started just kind of doing handyman work and then shifted into actual general contractors, um, actually making a business out of that. Before, when you were just doing handyman work, were you working for a lot of investors? I mean, you said sometimes you'd talk in passing and they were saying, I'm flipping this one, but that's, was that a lot of who you were working with? Yeah, I was working with a lot of investors um, and a lot of them was buy and hold investors. Yep. Um, Well, we would, you know, what I would now refer to as a buy and hold investor. Um, I had guys that were holding, you know, 10, 12, 15 properties. Um, we were doing six to eight, $12,000 rentals. Uh, tenant moved out after say eight, 10 years, you know, they'd put, okay. yep. teen, you know, 18, 12, 18, 20 grand into them. Nothing too crazy. Um, maybe cabinets, maybe countertops, but really just inside that buy and hold space of, you know, clean it up and, and get it, get it ready. I hung a lot of blinds. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I, I hung more ceiling blinds than I, than I care to remember. Oh man. I bet. Yeah. Just all that, all that little stuff, all that just like, Hey, yeah. Old tenants moving out, new tenants moving in, just get this stuff turned over. Drywall, drywall yeah. patches, yep. d- you know, kicked in doors, uh, adjusting handles, faucets, yeah. <laughs> toilets, really all the stuff that, that, uh, you know, I was really in, I was really in school and I didn't realize it. Um, I was getting paid to get an education, but nowadays when I come across, uh, you know, it's, we're going to be open house in 20, you know, two days from open house and something's not working quite right. A door's not closing quite right. Um, I just grab a tool out of my truck and make it happen, which has earned a little bit of respect in the space I'm in because I I don't, uh, I still carry a a full set of tools on my truck and I can still, I can still pick them up. I don't, uh, I don't love to, to work too darn hard, but I, sure. I work hard enough when the time comes. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, so that transition makes a lot of sense. You were working with investors, started to kind of, like you said, hear the lingo, 
kind of get um, educated yourself of like, uh, what does it even mean to flip a house? What are these guys in here doing? Like, why am I, you know, doing this over and over for the same types of uh, clients? And then you, as you transition into start doing your GC work, I'm, ima- I'm imagining a lot of the same people are still your clients. I imagine you still work with a lot of investors or have you transitioned primarily like custom homes for, for no, retail I've, clients? Uh... I stitched a few of my, I actually still have clients. Uh, I have 10 and 12 year clients. So I have some clients that are, uh, that are and were landlords and continue mm-hmm. to be landlords that have stitched all the way through. Um, I occasionally will have, will make their buy and hold uh, a useful buy and hold now for them. Uh, good client relationships are everything in any business. They're sure, you know, rightfully so. I've also had, uh, landlords from that era call me and say, Hey, I'm finally ready to get rid of that house on yeah. Elm street. Do you know anybody that wants to buy it? And have been able to stitch some of those together. Nice. With, very nice. You know, Hey, I got a guy that's had a rental for a lot of years. He wants to 1031 it. He's yep. ready to buy a, a multifamily. He's ready to buy a, a, a duplex, a quadplex, uh, whatever the case may be. So, um, continuing to have the same phone number and, you know, yeah. work with the same people for a lot of years. And as a contractor, um, you know, we work in a, a strange sales space as far as uh, accountability and mm. being honest. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of people, obviously, with the contractors, you know, this guy disappeared. This guy took my money. Definitely. But, but stitching together a 15-year um In other words, working with the same people for 15 yeah. years and, and stitching together that career in the same city definitely uh, has has lent me um thing. I just remodeled a customer's house. I remodeled her first house eight and a half years ago, and I just remodeled her her upgraded home uh, just recently. I just finished it, and she emailed me to an old email address, and I happened to just be poking in that email and found it. So <laughs> um, that's been great. But um, you know, learning everything and and sticking your head in and and yeah learning, learning your way around is definitely the way to go in this industry. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that sets up really well. I think Elliot, your, um, your background, the experience, how you've gotten to know, um, what you know now and the knowledge that you've gained over the years. And as you, um, what, what I really want to press into is I think a topic that resonates with a lot of people. I know I have a lot of listeners who, um, are earlier in their investing careers. And one of the things that is overwhelming is, rehab, specifically estimating the cost. Nobody wants to get burned. Um, just knowing before they, you know, put a, put a, um, a project under contract or, or purchase a house that they know what level of work it's going to take. And it's just, I think it's overwhelming for people. Um, and over all these years, as you've done the work yourself and been around it, and like you said, learned the lingo and, um, yeah, just learned the space, you know, so, you know, so much of that so well, you have that knowledge. And I want to, I think it's my job for listeners to tap into some of that and ask the right questions. So let me, let me just start with, yep. Starting to pick your brain in that area. What, when you go into, um, a house, let's, let's, I know you, um, you have a lot of different perspectives and a lot of, um, different areas of knowledge and expertise in the GC space, but, Think about it from a perspective of somebody coming in who is looking to um, purchase the property to uh, to invest in it, and not as their primary residence, but whether they're flipping it or um, uh, let's let's first talk about flipping because it's a different rehab than if you are um, uh, going to rent it out and buy and hold it. So if if you go in to a property and you know you just need to get this thing to rentable condition, what are some of the things that you look for? I mean, what are the what are the key things that you know? Oh, here's my like 
four biggest points of check on a checklist that got to make sure these things are in place and this place has the right bones. Um, what what is your process to walk through if you were to go through and say I'm going to flip this house um, and get it ready for retail sale? So yeah, I said before that it's to get it to rentable condition, but I correct myself that it's to flip it and actually sell it for resale. What are you looking all, to looking all for? good all good questions? So I'm going to step back one step. If yeah, you, please. If you've never done a major rehab in your personal home. Mm-hmm. You've never taken out your kitchen and your bath and all that. Highly recommend that you do it in. Don't do it in a flip scenario because now your learning curve is costing you a whole lot more than it would have cost you at your residence. So if you're just mm. if you're that if you're that new investor and you say I'm you know me and my my wife or my partner me and my friends we're going to get together we're going to flip this house. If you're trying to learn in that space where you're paying hard money costs, sure, you're you're really doing yourself a disservice. If you have never flipped a house before, my highest recommendation is to get a quality contractor to do the work with you. They shouldn't be afraid of having you around. That doesn't mean that you get to, mm. you know, get dangerous situations in the house. But what I'm getting at is have somebody walk through it with you and do it. If you make, if you flip your first house and you make $5, but you did it, you went all the way yeah. from purchase rehab, the, the speed bumps of rehab all the way to the sale, putting it on the market, staging it, cleaning it, home inspection, closing, and you make $5, you're still ahead of 75% of the people that you sit in the rooms with. Yep. That you that you all want to jump into onto the field, right? Um, going back to your question. So that being said, if you've done four or five decent size rehabs, you still can learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what I look for in homes, one is are they really going to sell to begin with? Without getting too far into real estate, if they're next to a train track or an auto body shop or they're sure. on the corner on the corner of you know Bumby and Colonial where you're you can't get out of right. the driveway. Right. Immediately I don't care how you can rehab it. I don't care how nice you can make it. It's not going to be something I would I would tell you to buy. You want to be on a side street. You want to be in some kind of a neighborhood that you can anticipate you're going to have buyers because I don't care if you put the prettiest quartz countertops on the planet if it's still an unlikable home for whatever unlikable real estate reasons. So sure. don't lose, don't lose sight of that when you're wanting to, to jump in um, to do that. The next thing that I'm careful about, and I recommend most of my clients don't get into is pre 1950s. Hmm. If a home is pre 1950, um, unless you have some experience in, uh, in that restoration you're getting into like a restoration versus a rehab. Sure, sure. The the skeletons that, for lack of a better word, the skeletons you can dig up in those kind of mm-hmm, homes mm-hmm. are not. Uh, a, let's go under five flips. If you've done under five flips, don't get into a 1920s or 1930s home. In my opinion, there can, you can have structural. They're built different. They're wired mm-hmm. different. They're pipe different. They're drain different. You're just really getting into an archaic. Uh, project. Your best project is a three bedroom, two bath, 1955, 1962 and up home that has general modern building 
is generally modernly built. Um, the other things I look for, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to get away too far into real estate, but you know, just a general decent floor plan. Um, smells are really hard to get rid of. Um, if you walk in a home and you're overwhelmed with smell, uh, we can do, we've done a lot of work in homes that have had all those things. Smells can get expensive. If it smells like smoke, it smells like pets. Uh, again, you, you're not trying to tackle every possible. It's nice. The house that I'm sitting in <laughs> was just a, it was a rental property. Uh, it didn't have anything essentially wrong with it. The roof didn't leak. It was just ugly, outdated, rotted wood. And there was nothing ter- terrible about it. It just hmm. needed that really pretty um, freshening. The kitchen was a, you know, terrible kitchen that the, the spatially it was, you know, that you couldn't open the dishwasher without you had to close the fridge to open the dishwasher, that kind of stuff. Um, but that being said, if you're in that first five flips, keep into something that's, that's pretty attainable, um, has modern air conditioning, for instance, those kind of things get real expensive. And if you're not Mm. versed in what it takes to add air conditioning to a home, that's for instance, only has window units. Um, those kind of numbers can, you know, for instance, a a three bedroom, two bath house that doesn't never had air central air conditioning. You could be anywhere between 7,500 and 10,000 just to make it air conditioned. So, I mean, if you're buying it for 40 grand, it's worth 300. Sure. Sure. Call me. Yeah. (laughs) But if, (laughs) but if, if you're, you know, if you're paying pretty close to retail, um, you might want to step back from, from age stuff just because as a contractor, obviously, um, it's harder to do. The other thing I think people do that are in that first five stage is they try to redo everything because it looks cool on TV. You Mm, you knock down mm -hmm. every wall and you, um, don't be afraid to save shower surrounds. Um, a lot of times a vanity, uh, vanity and a toilet and some fresh paint can go a long way. Doors, windows, all those kind of things really make sure that that's going to add value to your home. Uh, most of the people I talk to, their rule is is a hundred and fifty percent rule. So if you spend ten thousand, you should get fifteen thousand back. Hmm. Um, and that's not a a stone rule, but obviously you don't want to spend ten thousand and get ten thousand two hundred back. It's, right, that's right. just ten thousand out of your pocket. Um, I've sold homes in Orlando in the last year with nineteen eighties windows, uh, reglazed tubs and showers, as opposed to completely remodeled. Mm-hmm some original flooring in the right spaces clean, but you know, I'm not talking cracked up tile that's falling right, out under right. your feet. I'm just saying, don't, don't get into that. Take everything to the stud scenario, because I promise you that the, the people that are, that are out doing a lot of these aren't doing that. They yeah. do, they do in certain instances, but in, in a lot of times, you know, laundry rooms and hall bathrooms and non primary spaces they're going to they're going to kind of skip over things just to make it nice just to make it clean and spend their money effectively and wisely yeah that's really um good and interesting perspective to hear um from someone with so much experience in this space elliot to hear because you hear that a lot with um with buy and hold homes with homes that um you're just looking to rent to tenants is like just get it rentable just get it to a place is it going to keep somebody from renting it if not leave it 
Um, but you don't hear that as much in the retail space. You hear a lot of like, make it as pretty as possible, but to keep the perspective of like, yes, of course it needs to look good. needs to be structurally sound. Um, tile can't be falling apart underneath your feet, but don't do things unnecessarily. Spend your money wisely, spend it in the right areas and in the right ways. Um, and I can imagine that that would, um, that'll, that would be one of the things that would make having an experienced, um, GC along with you in the project. So valuable as someone who knows this is where the work needs to be done. Right. Agreed. And also, um, I explain it, I explain it to my customers as a shopping cart. So if you go to the store and you keep throwing things in the shopping cart, it's all fun and dandy. Sure. But then at the end of the project, you gotta, you gotta pay the piper and you go, Oh my God, we're 12,000 over budget. Right. 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 Well, yeah. here it is. You spent you know, 2000 here, 4,000 here and 6,000 there, you're 12,000 yeah. over budget. Those were, yep. and did it appraise for more or did it rent for more? Right. And if and the answer is going to be no. Now, again, rot, you know, wood rot, you know, crack tile that we go back to any of those things. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, a lot of front doors, you paint the front door if it's not rotten, sure. if it closes, it opens. Some people like a nice classic. I've done yeah, some, totally. homes and I've done some like Bumby colonial type homes that have these nice classic wood doors with some fresh details. You paint them jet black with a nice, you know, a little sand, a little prep, nothing crazy. They look amazing. They look great mm -hmm, in photos mm -hmm. and people love them because they know they're walking into a 19, you know, 59 house, not a, not a, you know, new build. Yeah. Especially with some of those older homes balancing the, the new and modern with like the, with the classic and original. I know that that's, but you don't just want to, yeah, replace everything. There's definitely some charm to, to some of the original stuff for sure. Um, yeah, so, so that, that gives me some good, yeah, some good points there, Elliot, on, um, what you're looking for when you walk in, what you're seeing, uh, and what you're looking for as far as, um, yeah, does this house have this, does it check these boxes? Would this be the right next project? Um, what's something that you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, something that's a little too old, this may be previous, uh, to 1950, but what are some other things that you see and are red flags for you that you walk in and you go, Oh yeah, no, this is a non-starter. I don't want to touch this project. What are some of those things? Good question. Um, one of the first things you should do on the way to the house, even if it's a call, I get calls and I jump in a vehicle and head that way. If it's, if it's the right deal, you want to go on your property appraiser site, uh, whatever the County is, it's very simple to search it, find the home and look at permits. Uh, often I've seen younger buyers or, or more, uh, unexperienced buyers purchase a three bedroom, two bath house. that's 1800 square feet only to find out that the permitted house is a three bedroom, one bath, right. 1400 square feet. I see right. you smiling. Cause we've all, we've all done it for sure. Um, so be real sure that, that what you're, uh, what you're being presented is, is the reality and is on property appraiser site, um, pro is on tax records. So in other words, that the, that the person pulled a permit or that it's the pre previously existing, you know, home. Sure. Um, if it's not, it's not impossible to get things permitted, but you want to be aware of it fiscally because sometimes it costs up to, I mean, you can go again, you can easily get four or five, $6,000 into permits on something and you may still not be able to, to, it may not be allowable. It may be too close to a neighbor. Sure. It may be too close to a rear setback. Mm -hmm. So just the general, um, just the general knowledge of what the home is, what at home originally was, and um all that if you're i'm going to stick with the under five flipper 
um, as in you've done under five homes, mold, mold and fire damage get mm -hmm. really expensive. If it's not your, if it's not your, uh, forte, um, probably something now I'm not to be clear, not, I'm not talking a few feet of mold in a bathroom sure. or sure. something. Um, but I'm talking about a home that actually has, uh, for instance, has had broken windows or leaky roofs. Um, I've been in homes that the, the there's literally water under your feet in the dining room. You know, like you're literally splashing through the dining room. So if that's wow. if that's the kind of home, again, unless it's unless you've been in that space or, or you, you you know you've really got the knowledge there, mm -hmm. um, those costs again they can they can get exponential pretty quick. Uh, you, you could be, you know, sixteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty five thousand dollars just to get to clean air, just to sure. just to get to zero. Um, and I'm not saying don't buy them. I'm saying make sure that you have a knowledgeable party right right prior um homes that have burned will get flipped you know get rebought and resold homes that have mold will get rebought and resold but just don't jump in don't jump in and buy it and then decide later that you're going to get some garbage bags and and you know come out on saturday and try to get rid right. of it because because right. that, that's a that's a bad scenario that's like a um you know that's so definitely always get a, a, a party involved that will, that will, that has a specialty in that, in that area. Um, yeah. So let me also ask about, so that that's good. Mold, those are things I would have expected mold. Um, yeah. Like you said, the, the older house, just make sure. And I think it's a good clarification and uh, thing to, to call out that it's not necessarily you're saying don't, do the deal. Just make sure you're surrounded with the right team. That the people Absolutely. around you or you yourself have the right experience to do the to do the flip or the project successfully. So that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how about uh, I? I didn't hear you mention this. I'm curious to hear your thought on it because I just hear it so much here in Florida, um, and there, there's other places with the issue as well. But how about termites? I hear that a lot about people like this real big. Like, oh my gosh, is there termites? Is that something for you that's really concerning if you see termite damage? To me, termite damage, and this is my personal opinion, termite damage is like the word wedding. Um, it just gets, <laughs> you know, a birthday cake at Publix is six bucks, a wedding cake's 300. Um, yeah, it funny. just gets real expensive real quick. Termite damage is in, let's say, 20% of, I, I don't know the number, 20% of homes in, Orla in Orlando. Mm -hmm. It's common. It's not unheard of. Block homes get block homes get termite damage wood homes get termite damage um as long as it's not super structural where the the main beams of the home have been affected uh it it can be addressed it can be fixed a lot of times they're behind showers they're behind tubs because they look for water they basically hmm. come out of interesting they come out of the earth they look for water and uh so you'll find them a lot behind shower enclosures around tub drains i've encountered I, I don't know. I've encountered termites probably 40 or 50 times again, unless it's just a really overtaken, uh, home where, you know, one entire wall or something is, 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 uh, damaged. You're okay. Circle back to main topic here, get a termite inspector to look at it. If you've got questions, mm -hmm. um, make sure that you understand. Now, a real simple test is to push on the drywall. If you push hmm. on the drywall, it should have a solid feel to it. If it's termite damaged and the studs are that destroyed, you'll actually be able to push and it'll feel uh, like a interesting. 
more like a blanket or a, it'll, it'll have a, a, a quite a sponge to it. And obviously you could go around the same house and if one wall just has a, a giant amount of flex to it, I'm, I'm talking, sure. you can literally like literally push against it and feel it move. Mm. Um, I think the most expensive termite job I've ever done was in like the teens, like maybe 12 or $13,000. And that was a, okay. a, lar- okay. a large home in Lake Mary that had a significant amount of damage that had, that had taken years. Um, so termites aren't something that specifically scares me. Uh, it's probably a, a second step scenario where you want to make sure you kind of, now if, if you're not, you should bring in your camera with you. Obviously everyone's got their cell phone on their hip. Um, but if, if you can take your camera and, and stick it underneath, the, if it's a wood house, you can stick it underneath the house, take some flash photography, uh, anywhere that you can gain access under vanities or anything like that, where you can kind of get a, a, an expensive version of an x-ray and determine if it's, if it's longstanding. Now, if you push a baseboard and your finger just goes through it and it just falls apart, it's going to have to be addressed. Um, but it doesn't get into the space that mold and fire are going to get into for the most part, unless it's just uh, all the way through a home. Now I walked in one home in college park many years ago and I opened the front door and I could see the ground. Oh my gosh. So that, that was, Jeez. that was probably the most extreme I've ever seen. And that was a, a, a state home that somebody hadn't been in there in a lot of years. Right. Like, right. Uh, and it needed, it, it was a scrape. It was, it needed to, it was going to be a better scenario. Just that's a different problem entirely. Right. Yeah. It it was a, it was a lot with a house, a house in the way more than anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Um, how about, how about the opposite, man? How about, um, like, what do you go in to a home and look and you see some things that are, um, positive flags for you. If you were to be looking for a a project that would be profitable, um, you know, some things, um, you know, that often people will look for of like, oh, hey, that often is intimidating for a homeowner or something, but like that is a quick fix. Like that's something, you know, what I know a lot of it depends on who you know and what expertise you have, but in general, what do you look for that could be like, oh, that's a good margin. I have a good margin there and that's something that's probably easier. Good margins, definitely yard. Um, Okay. I love the house that you can't see from the street, the house that you can't see from the street. Um, unless the, the home itself is just covered in foliage, which means you have to be careful for moisture. But if it's just that home where the people haven't trimmed in a long time, right. you can do a lot of, you can do a lot to a yard for That's like 2,500 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just kind of start over. Um, another thing that I like to see is spaces that can be turned into offices and bedrooms. So for instance, hmm. a three, a three bedroom, two bath, it's like 18, 1900 square feet, but it's still a three, two. If there's an opportunity there to make it a four bedroom and the comps allow for it, that's a great, uh, great scenario. If you have a two, if you have an old two bedroom downtown and you can make it a three bedroom, um, you should again, know, know your a bedroom has to have a window a bedroom has to, it does not have to have a closet, but you can't pass through it to get to another bedroom. So you can't just make a hallway, another bedroom. Um, but if you've got, uh, availability to make it a large, uh, an added space or an office space, especially with everybody working from home now, um, that's going to really add some value. Yards are cheap. Landscaping's relatively cheap in the grand scheme of, you know, concrete and roofs. Um, backyard living is something that I've Mm. been able to Mm. tie into a lot of my homes. If you can just, 
do that little eight by 10, eight by 12 paver patio. Um, that's a really nice way to, to really add into the space. The only time I would not do, go too far into that is if it's going to go on the market in August, June, July, August, I'm not going to spend oh, too much money in the yard. Um, I don't like to market a pool home in December and January. Yeah. Um, so when you buy a home, people don't, see, people are very, uh, short sighted in the fact totally. that if, a, if, yeah. if it's a pool home and it's the middle of January, they're like, yeah, a pool, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. they, if it's in June and the kids are like trying to dive in while you're there exactly. looking at it, you're going to get more value out of it. And that's just mm-hmm. a personal opinion. But, um, if I, if I buy a home, that's that, that, that I'll put a nice little backyard on it, especially if it's going to be, you know, November, you know, fall time of year where people go out back and they stand there for a minute and they start envisioning themselves living there. Um, then that's always going to, going to bring you better value. Yeah. That's a really good point. I really like, um, yeah, I really like all that, all that advice. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, now what, what's your thought? I'm curious on, uh, there's a lot of back and forth that I've heard on people's opinions about the nicest house on the street, about rehabbing something, um, to the, upper level of the neighborhood that it's in, uh, rehabbing, uh, a home in a B neighborhood to be like a B plus or even an A. Um, what, what's your thought on that? Do you like to rehab homes to the, to be the nicest house on the street or do you get them right kind of in the median range of they look like what's around them? I'm fully guilty of that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that as long as you're in a quality neighborhood, especially if it's surrounded, uh, by good neighborhoods, um, I don't know how many of your listeners are are lo- local Orlando only, but if you're in a good area of town and within th- two or three square miles is a lot of really nice stuff, um, you can get away with a with a upper crust version of the home. Where you have to be careful is you're still going to have a ceiling no matter what you do inside, and you just have to be careful of that ceiling. Square footage can play into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think if you take a nice little, say, 1400 square foot house and you make it really nice, but you put a small kitchen and a couple of you know nice countertops, you're OK. Um, I think that if you get into like a 2600 square foot home in a 1400 square foot neighborhood, sure, you're going to get real tough. If you if you're working with a realtor. If you're working with a realtor, you should ask the realtor. What do you think the most amount I'm ever going to get for this house is based on comps? Don't, you know, not on um, how many whiskeys you've had. Right, exactly. And um, go go to that uh, level. Um, if you're selling it yourself and you're not familiar, you should get a realtor that's in your network office, whatever the case may be, if you're doing your own realty and and make sure that you don't, you don't surpass your cap. Um, that being said, I've had a few houses that have sold for five or 10 more than than we thought we were going to get um but don't 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 get too don't get too overboard right. on it you you right. you can drive by it real quick and and if your if your rehab is uh is too strong and ne- then you have to get some really high number of course you get into appraisal and all that stuff but um again you really want to kind of keep it simple in the beginning um, another thing I, I'll circle back to is like interior doors. Uh, a lot of customers, you know, they want to get all brand new doors. So the house that's behind me is is uh, one of my flips, obviously. And we kept all the doors. We changed, I think there was one or maybe two that had some just 
rental damage to it, you know, they, that we flipped out, but they're slab doors. They're flat doors, brand new door handles done. Um, you know, when you start talking doors at 135 to $165 right. a piece, you know, you get 14 doors, you're talking 1500, $2,000. Mm-hmm. It, it's gotta be achievable. It's gotta be something that, that adds value and is achievable. Maybe one nice barn door in a, in a primary space, uh, primary bedroom space or something like that. But, but again, clean, clean, nice, clean, nice, new looking is still going to, still going to win the boat. Don't do every project that your homeowner could ever conceive. Right. To do, or you're, you're going to be over, you're going to be over improved. Yep. Nope. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there. I think I'm right there with you just in general of, um, you know, rehabbing to a, to a level that makes sense for the neighborhood. And I know just a lot of people will try to blow it out of the water and make it something that's just, yeah, the nice, by far the nicest house on the street so that it grabs attention. And there's probably, probably situations where that makes sense, but I think in general, yeah, rehabbing to the level that the neighborhood is in general, um, feels like the right rule of thumb. Um, so let me also ask you about, um, some mistakes or misassumptions that you see people, uh, probably usually beginners or maybe just people who have some experience, but don't have the right team around them. What are some key pitfalls or things you see commonly happening? Maybe, yeah, misassumptions or mistakes that people make as they go into rehab a house and they just don't expect or estimate or, or anything like that. Definitely timing. Um, sure. what I'm getting, what I'm getting you know, meaning by that is the timing that you do everything should be very calculated in two in two lanes. One is you should always be moving forward as much as possible. You're mm. only as you're only as good as your slowest uh, subcontractor or trade or project. If the house is all ready but it doesn't have a countertop, you can't sell it. If it's all ready but you're waiting on a garage door, whatever the case may be. So the timing aspect, as far as getting to the end, I see people make a lot of mistakes on. Um, don't be afraid to keep other things moving while something. Don't let one other than a oh, other than sure. a other than a red tag by the county. Don't let right, right. don't let one thing stop everything else. Um, hmm. I meet with I meet with friends and colleagues sometimes, and I'll go by their site and I'm like, "Hey, I thought you were flipping that house on you know Elm Street," and they're like, "Oh yeah, I am," and I'm like. Well, you know, I drove by the other day. There was nobody there. Like, oh yeah, we're waiting for the tile to come in. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then I'm like, all right, well, are your doors painted? Well, well, no. And I'm like, have you finished the the other bathroom? Well, no, we're still, we're waiting on that. And I'm like, it, it, you got a lot of, you know, you're basically one, you're letting one thing stop a lot of things. So, um, the flip side of that is don't, when you flip, I'll do a couple basic scenarios, but I put, I paint my exterior before I put in my landscaping. That's a really cut and dry solution or, or, uh, explanation. So paint the outside of the house. When you're all done painting it, put down your brand new mulch. Sounds obvious, but I see people do it backwards all the time. Why? Because it's a lot faster to paint a house where there's, where you don't care what you get on the ground. Cause you're going to cover it in mulch anyway. Yep. Versus going out and, putting your fresh brand new mulch in because you had right. Saturday off and you wanted to, you know, get out there and get something done. Now your painters come along and you know, they're walking in your plants, right? They're walking right. in your mulch. They're getting paint in your mulch. I say mulch is a obvious, you know, gravel, 
sure. whatever the case may be. Um, so that's a basic timing scenario. If you're going to strip your popcorn, don't put down your new flooring. Right, um, right. Really just step back and make sure that you have things lined up, which is kind of converse to my first statement, but just you're basically herding 15 cats to the finish line. Just don't let one cat stopping stop all your other ones. Um, if, if really should always kind of have this giant running list of things that need to get done. And if something gets sidebarred, you, you should quickly be able to find some other things to do until the material comes in, the subcontractor can do what they need to do. The permit gets cleared or, or whatever other else you're dealing with at the time. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I don't think that's those statements are contradicting at all. I think all that it really is, is making sure that you are correctly, accurately mapping your dependencies, like fully mapping out the project and saying, well, what's dependent on what? And if, if one area gets blocked, making sure you have forks in that road to say, well, go do this instead and go do this because these are not dependencies or precursors of this next thing. And, and just making should, sure that yeah, you're mapping that right. And you should know what your house costs you every day. Hmm. Hmm. Your house, unless you, you have a large amount of money and you bought it completely cash and you just wrote a check for that and you don't have home insurance and you don't pay taxes and you don't pay for water and power. Right, and right. <laughs> if I, my favorite part about the TV shows is that they don't, they don't pay for power. They've got a special right, deal right. with the company. You know, exactly. Everything's free. Everything's but, free. um, uh, I've got a client right now that's, uh, I don't have a client. I have a, a colleague that's, that's losing about $250 a day on a project wow. that, that they have stopped. And I asked him, I said, you know, Hey, what, what's the scenario? And, oh, we're waiting on this, waiting on that. I said, well, $250 a day. I'd be, you know, I'd be, I'd be cleaning up this. I'd yeah. be doing that. I'd right, be, right. I, I'd be painting, pre-painting my doors. I'll pre-paint my, I'll pre-paint my baseboards, Brandon. Sure. I'll, I'll sure. take my base. If I've got, if I've got, if my paint guys have nothing to do that day and you know, for whatever reason we're stopped, they'll take all the baseboard out in the yard, get some 16 foot pieces of wood lay everything mm -hmm. out, spray out that baseboard. Cause you know what, when yeah. it goes down, it's already painted. I can caulk some right. holes and you're done. So, right. Um, don't, don't stop for that. And on that same note, if you, if you're trying to not hire people and you're just working on the weekends, you're, you're really not going to succeed because your right. cost, your cost of Monday through Friday, uh, holding is not going to make sense for your, you know, your productive weekend. Yep. Nope. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I resonate with all that. Uh, let me, let me ask you a little bit about shifting away specifically from, you know, going in a house, estimating it, rehabbing it. Um, hearing about you and your experience, Elliot, I know you mentioned before that, you know, you were early in your career and doing these, uh, odd jobs and really getting paid for an education. I want to press in a little bit on that point of education and ask kind of what, what you've done, um, in your career that has been the most valuable thing for your education. Has it been just doing the jobs, actually getting in and doing the work? Has it been, is there a, you know, a specific mentor or somebody that you found that was the most helpful uh, to move you forward in your growth and in your education? What's, what's something that you've done that's really allowed you to take a leap forward in what you're learning and knowing? Definitely uh, taken a couple of weekend short boot camp uh, on inexpensive type scenario classes like entry sure. level. Uh, I've taken an entry level wholesaling uh, camp and an entry level stuff. I would, I would not be a proponent of the, you know, give me $30,000 right, and I'll right. the secret of life people. Yeah. Um, but doing, doing the work definitely, uh, if you're don't, you kind of have to know what you're going for. If your goal is that you want to lose, quit your job and just 
spend all day flipping houses where you go into work every day and you grab a paintbrush and you paint the wall, you're good. If you want it to be scalable where you pay vendors to do it, then you should know what you're talking about. You should know the difference between a rewire and just changing the panel, for instance, on electrical. So doing the work is important. I think having some, some boot camps and some, uh, knowledge based, you know, pen and paper work helps a lot. Uh, you should be able to, if you have a realtor, if you're not a realtor, you should be able to look at MLS and understand what comps are, uh, what compare, you know, comparables are, uh, what, what is, what is it? I had a home that actually wouldn't sell any more as a four bedroom than as a three bedroom in this, in a particular neighborhood. Hmm. Um, so I would have spent the money had I not known any better to make it a four bedroom. Right. Um, also if you have anybody that's doing it, that is experienced at it. And you can take the time to go to the site and and learn and see and do um, a yeah. jobs a job site is kind of like nothing else. It's funny how much they get glazed over. And I've been to boot camps where they're like, "Oh, you just buy this house, and then like in six months you sell it." And I'm like, <laughs> "Like it's like a movie with no plot." You're like, "Oh, that one's easy. Like yeah, how'd that, that work?" Yeah. Um, you should definitely go to a job site. You should be able to identify uh, types of pipe, types of wire. Um, just like if you work at a restaurant, I hope you know the difference between a steak and a lobster, then you should, in this industry, you should have a, a, a general knowledge of, um, home inspection type scenarios. You don't need to become a home inspector, but you do need to, to know the difference between aluminum fascia and wood fascia is, you know, what's repairable, what's not, uh, what, you know, what's a, what's an architectural shingle, what's a three tab shingle, um, look at a home inspection, read a home inspection report, see what a home inspector is looking at. What are they noting? What are they, you know, what are they, how do they find out how old a water heater is? How do they find out how old an air conditioner is? What, uh, you know, just, just read into some, some things. If you've got, if you've got a friend that's listing a property, a normal, even if it's a normal non-flip property, go over, go over there when it's vacant with them and, you know, ask the real estate agent, what are you looking for when you're listing this property? Do you want to, you know, do you think we ought to take the, uh, the couple of trash cans that are out in front of the garage and maybe park them around the side of the house? And before we take our photos, I mean, MLS, MLS listing photos that I see sometimes just make my head shake. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, boot camps on, on, on the site training and, uh, knowledge with professionals, home inspectors, tradesmen, plumbers you know, anybody like that, if you've got a, if you've got a neighbor, that's a plumber and electrician and you go, you've never flipped the house or rewired a panel and he'll let you sure. He's got a small enough business to let you ride with him for the day. It's, it's going to be a little more value than, than, uh, than, than you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear all that. Um, that uh, I think, man, if, if just everybody before they went and did their first flip, or at least before they, you know, made a business out of, out of real estate, if they were able to do that, if they took those pieces of advice, uh, they'd be so much better off. Um, it's always a fine balance of stepping into, you know, stepping into a project, um, being knowledgeable with, you know, being paralyzed with not knowing enough, feeling like you don't know enough. It's always a balance, but again, it goes back to surrounding yourself with the right people, making sure the right team is around you, that if you, hit snags that if you don't know the answer, someone around you does. Um, and then just trying to equip yourself with the most information that you can have. I think that's really valuable advice. Um, let me, let me ask you, uh, this, this is really my, uh, my last question here is 
if you could go back to, you know, what 15 years ago around, I think you said 2006 or so, and you could talk to yourself back then, that version of yourself, Elliot, and say, uh, hey, man, this is going to be the thing or one of the things that saves you the most trouble, the most headache. What would that advice to yourself be? Get some buy and holds. Yeah, yeah. Buy some properties that that are maybe not the place you personally want to live with your family, but they're still nice homes for somebody. Uh, they're entry level. Get that br that that brewer portfolio going yeah yeah I, I always kept saying that it was unachievable um and if i had started it it, it would have been a snowball i'd probably have you know eight or ten by now mm-hmm. i still have none um it, it's 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 a little bit of a of a long game mm-hmm. but spend the time to get a rental so that if you're so that if you do flip and you have a passive income you know you now you can there's really two ways to do it. You you flip until you can buy rentals or you buy rentals until you have enough money to flip. Right, right. Those are the two kind of general uh, things that I see most people doing. But I really wish 15 years ago when um, when duplexes were $107,000 right, right. <laughs> for two doors, you know, when, when a door cost 50, you right. know, 52 or 54 grand. And I went, right. oh, that's that's crazy expensive. I could never afford that. Yeah. And now I look at them going off market at right. Right. 25 or two fifty. Um, I was on a orange County property appraiser today and it was, uh, it was actually a duplex and it had sold for like 36,000, 70, some thousand, 90, some thousand, a hundred. You're just watching it go up. You do. If if that was your bank account, uh, you know, you'd be, be ecstatic. So, um, if, 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 if you do nothing, if you never get to flip a house, but you buy a rental or two um, in the next f- four or five years in a, any large, larger metro market, um, it doesn't have to be right in you know the center of town. Uh, it can be a, a you know an off skirt area of town, but as long as you you get that in your in your uh, in your a feather that feather in your cap, I think you'd yeah. be good to. to forever i mean most people that really have large amounts of revenue somewhere in there is a is a real estate is a real estate mix and 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 i'm frustrated that i didn't do it years ago but you just you move forward you keep painting walls and you know that's right keep going right right? yeah that's right and i I think it's a really good way to look at it is you you know you everybody has opened zilla before and you see the the transaction or the uh sale history and yeah you're like at ninety thousand, then 120 then 180 then 250 and you're yeah if that was your bank account you'd be super happy and not that everybody pays a a house all the way off right away but just that that thought that like houses appreciate there's so many value so many pieces of value to investing in real estate is Really, probably anybody listening to this knows at least some of them, but one of them certainly is appreciation. The house values go up, and if you're owning it as that's happening, it's obviously very valuable. And to start that earlier than later is always good advice, I think. I mean, I hear that a lot, honestly, Elliot, in that question of what would you have done if you could, you know, tell yourself something years ago when you started. It's like I would have gotten started earlier building my own portfolio. I would have bought properties if I, you know, it, regardless of what their area of expertise is in real estate, people just usually wish they would have held more and and earlier. So um, you're not alone in that for sure. Um, well, lastly here, how can how can people get in touch if what you kind of shared today resonates and um, people want to call you or get in touch with you and your business? Uh, what is your business and how do people get a hold of you? So I work for VE Builders LLC. 
We're a general contractor in Orlando. Our website is vebuildersllc.com. Uh, there's a contact card on that page. My cell number is 407-461-0073. Um, texting is preferable, but give me a call if you got a question. Awesome. Um, we've got a, a Facebook, a VE Facebook page as well, VE Builders Facebook. Um, we have a lime green kind of a kind of a color scheme through everything we run. Um, there's a lot of projects that we've done on there. Uh, right now we're specializing in about anywhere from probably 25,000 to 125,000, uh, flips, renos. And we, we do work for residential, uh, clients as well. Um, but, but we do a lot of, we do over 50% of our business is vacant, vacant home flipping. We are turnkey. Uh, we work for clients that are out of state. I have a client, mm. I have a client in New Jersey who, uh, only sees the homes digitally purchases them wow. has us reno them and sells them obviously all through uh all through you know the internet basically crazy i've i've met i've met the the client but in other words he you know between between me and a realtor we uh we get it done for him and he's wow he does that because in new jersey of course your your cost of of entry your entry right, level right. homes are six eight hundred thousand so he does it in orlando to to make life a little easier Man, that's neat. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great. And yeah, I would encourage anybody to check out, um, your company and see what you guys are doing. I think, uh, looking at the projects on there would also, also be helpful. Um, well, Elliot, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. This was so valuable. I, this is, this is exactly why I do this show. This is something that, um, you know, everybody is interested in. Everybody wants to know how am I going to estimate the rehab? What am I looking for? Um, what are some pitfalls that that I could commonly fall into? And to just sit here um, on this call and like to pick your brain on that with 15 years of experience is just invaluable. And I know listeners will appreciate that too. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. I love talking about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, again. And you have a great rest of your night. You too. If you guys enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. That actually helps a lot to get the podcast out there as people are looking for helpful real estate investing resources online. You can also like our Facebook page to keep up to date with new episodes as they publish. And don't forget to subscribe through whatever podcast player that you use. If you have questions about a specific topic that we covered, or if you have a suggestion about another area that you'd like to see me dig into, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I'd love to get in touch. You can email me at brandon at realestatefortherestofus.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. One show at a time, we'll work to make real estate investing accessible for the rest of us.